0: Well good morning everybody. Welcome to yet another week of online church service. I think it's a little bit strange for most of us not to be able to interact with one another physically and face to face and handshakes and the hugs and the smiles and the tears and just all the different ways that uh, the Lord allows us to partake in one another's lives. But we are thankful for technology, that we can record this and get this out there to you as, again, just as a body, that uh, we continue to provide uh, those gifts to one another that the Lord gives to us, that uh, we'll give you that gift of worship week by week, this gift of teaching week by week, and give us some kind of sense of normal in the midst of this very unnormal life that we're all abiding in right now. In this coming week, we're gonna continue with all of the Zoom meetings. They've been awesome as we get to see one another face to face and interact with each other, share our prayers, dig into the word together, laugh, just all of those have been awesome. So on Monday night, uh, we'll have the marriage class by Zoom. Tuesday night is the students, Wednesday nights the men's study, Thursday night will be the women's study and this week we have the men's breakfast on Saturday. So again, you're going to have to make your own breakfast, uh, but we'll meet by Zoom and continue our study that we're in discussion that we're doing with the men's study. Um, This morning we are going to continue in our study through the book of Acts, so turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. And as always, before we open God's word and teach and read, let us run to our great God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. We really do, Lord. As I'm sitting here all by myself, Lord, I'm not alone. I know that you're here and I know that you're present. my brothers and sisters are listening to this, Lord. Even as we're separated physically and we're separated even in time, I know that you're right there. So I'm asking that you'd fill all of us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Give to us your mind. Give to us your heart. Give to us, uh, Lord, just the wisdom and encouragement that each person needs to receive from you right now, Lord, that they'd hear your voice and not only hear you, Lord, but they would trust you, that they'd hand their lives over to you, and that they'd follow you and love you, Lord, with all that they are, moment by moment and day by day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, I have to use my old man eyes this morning because last week my head pretty much looked like an egg because of the lights. So that helped me read last week, but this week I'm gonna have to use my glasses to be able to see my Bible this morning. But as we're continuing through the book of Acts, last week we finished Acts chapter 14, which is the end of uh, the first missionary journey as Paul and Barnabas go into Gentile cities, go into Gentile cultures, and they're proclaiming the Good news about who Jesus Christ is, about what Jesus Christ has done. And these people, whether Jews or Gentiles, they're responding to Jesus in faith. They're participating in the community. Last week, we really pressed into this idea that as often as we gather together as the church, that we are here to strengthen one another, that our souls need to be strengthened by God. And that as we interact with one another, we're seeking to stabilize one another and strengthen one another, encouraging each other to continue to trust in the one who you know created you and the one who you know who has saved your soul, who has saved you from your sin, who has saved you from death, who is right there abiding in you, teaching you, leading you, providing for you, comforting you. This is what Paul and Barnabas were doing as they're returning back to these communities and eventually going home to Antioch where it says that this is the place where they were entrusted to the grace of God And no doubt, they entrusted themselves to the grace of God from that very moment that they trusted in Jesus. And this is what I've titled this morning's message. It comes from verse 26. This definition that Paul and Barnabas, that these were men who risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. This idea that they risked their lives is that they handed over their life to God. As we continue through the text this morning, I want this idea to be on your mind in regards to handing over your life Or you may need to be handing over to God the life of somebody else. Because as we sat in Acts chapters 13 and 14, as Paul and Barnabas are sharing the gospel, a lot of the trouble that's coming in is coming in from the outside. It's coming from outside of themselves. It's coming from outside of the walls of the church and the body of Christ that they're interacting with. But this week, as we get into chapter 15, the trouble is coming from within the body of Christ. And this isn't talking about wolves in sheep's clothing. It's not talking about unbelievers in the midst of the body of Christ. It's talking about believers who are standing in disagreement on essential and core ideas and core, um, uh, the core theology of what the Bible teaches in regards to who Jesus Christ is. And what is necessary for us to have a relationship with him? So, as the gospel is being shared with Gentiles, we pick up this word Gentiles from that last verse of chapter 14. That God is the one who opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And from a Jewish perspective, especially for somebody who is, uh, we're going to lock into the Pharisees. They're very locked into the, the code of the Old Testament and attempting to follow that code to the letter. Um, nobody being able to be successful in that. But when they looked at the Gentiles, they looked at the Gentiles as continually impure, unclean unable in any capacity to approach the God who created the heavens and the earth and the God who chose Abraham. So as they are there abiding in Antioch for an extended period of time, chapter 15 begins with certain men came down from Judea and they're teaching the brethren and this is what they're teaching. Unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is, this is a major issue in this community. Paul and Barnabas are there in Antioch. They've been there for an extended period of time. They left for a missionary journey, and they've come back. Um, they have deep relationships in this community. They know each other. And now brothers from Jerusalem have come into their community. And again, they're they're brothers. They believe, they trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But their understanding of that relationship with God is it's based first upon being a part of the nation of Israel, based upon being a Jew. And to be a Jew, so this goes back to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 17. God is the one who gave the covenant of of, uh, Um, The sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham was circumcision. So God says, if you are cut, you are part of this covenant. And if you remain uncut, you are cut off from this covenant. So as these individuals, as they're pressing into their own faith in Jesus Christ, their understanding is that it is impossible to be saved, to be delivered from sin, to have Jesus's eternal life, to abide in him, to have a relationship with the God who created you. It is impossible unless you have been circumcised. And it's not just being circumcised. They're looking at all of the customs and the traditions that Moses handed down and they're saying that this is what is necessary for the Gentiles to be saved. They must be circumcised and they must obey the Old Testament customs that Moses handed down. And for in verse 2, you have Paul and Barnabas and their response. It says, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas, they say, it says that they had no small dissension. There is a forceful dispute and argument. And they're disputing with them. They're arguing with them. They're talking about this is what the Old Testament says. This is what Jesus has done. Um, They're giving all the evidence and their experience in regards to what God has done in the Jewish culture and in the Gentile culture as people are responding to the gospel. But in this conversation that they're having there in Antioch, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this dissension, about this controversy that's going on. And as they travel there in verse 3, it says they're on their way, so they're going by foot. When they're being sent by the church, they pass through Phoenicia, they're passing through Samaria, and as they're staying in these different locations, whether they're pausing for lunch, whether they're staying overnight, um, the community that they're discussing with, they're giving in full detail, describing the conversion, the turning of the Gentiles, and again, the turning of the Gentiles away from their idols and to the living God and it says that they caused great joy in all the brethren as they're making this trek to Jerusalem verse 4 when they arrived in Jerusalem when they when they had come to Jerusalem they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and here you have Barnabas and Paul they're reporting all the things that God had done with them. This is what I absolutely love about ba- Paul and Barnabas. When they returned back to Antioch in the first place, it says that they were reporting to them all that God had done with them and through them, how it's, uh, they're talking about God's work, God's activity. Here, same same, consistent behavior as they're interacting with the apostles and the elders in the church. They're not communicating, look at how, wonderful we are and look at what we have done, but they're presenting as testimony. Look at what God has done in the lives of human beings. And this is what they are sitting upon as the witness in regards to who Jesus Christ is and his activity in the Gentiles, pouring out the Holy Spirit into Jews and Gentiles alike through faith in Jesus Christ. Now this sets up the an essential legal proceeding that occurs within the church so in verse 5 it says some of the sect of the pharisees so a division within the body of christ and we have all these divisions today whether protestant or catholic within protestantism there's all these different denominations non-denominational That's what this idea of Pharisees. So they were Pharisees when they, as they were Jews, and now that they are believers in Jesus Christ, um, they're still adhering to this sect, to this division, according to their understanding of the Word of God. So the Pharisees who believed, they're trusting in Jesus, they're rising up and saying, It is necessary. You are obligated to circumcise them, to circumcise the Gentiles, and. Command them to keep the law of Moses. This is a question that I want us to ask of ourselves, and to and to be able to ask of others as we interact with them, and your own self, and your relationship with God in regards to your understanding of the Old Testament. We hear that comment often that the God of the Old Testament, He is different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is all law. The God of the New Testament is all love. When I sit down and I read the Old Testament, that's not what I see at all. But it's really easy when we sit in the Old Testament, there are, and same in the New Testament, but there's a lot of do's and don'ts. Here's the laws, here's the regulations. Here's what you have to do to have a relationship with God. But even in the Old Testament, there's multiple passages and multiple circumstances where we can see the consistent character of God. Old and new, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God has always been a God of grace. We see Abraham in his relationship with God. God's righteousness that he granted to Abraham, we know was based upon Abraham's faith and trust in who God is and in God's words that he promised. It wasn't based upon his action. It wasn't based upon his obedience to the law of God. Yet we even sit in the book of James. James argues that, yes, Abraham's faith was granted to, uh, God granted Righteousness to Abraham based on his faith, but his faith and his works were hand in hand together. Here, the emphasis is, is more upon, yes, you believe, but in your believing, here are the requirements that you have to do to be saved. Major issues. And for the Gentile community, these are unsettling words. And for us too, these can be very unsettling words, even in our day today. There are many out there that would teach us that we need to obey the Jewish dietary laws or the Sabbath or all the other different uh, ceremonial requirements and laws that God lists out in the Old Testament. When we read these things, often they can unsettle us when we forget about who Jesus is, what Jesus did on the cross, and that we are truly saved by his grace that there's no work, that there's no action that I can do that's going to earn God's favor, that's going to earn my salvation. My salvation has been given to me solely on the character, the name, the nature, the action of our great God through his son on the cross as he died for our sins and as he rose again from the dead. So here's the Pharisees stand up and they say, Here's our argument. You cannot be saved unless you are part of the nation of Israel. And you can only be a part of the nation of Israel if you have been circumcised. And now Peter stands up in this, again, this open matter, this open trial, so to say, in the church. In verse 6, it says, The apostles and the elders. They came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. I love this. We've already sat in that action. You can go back and look in Acts chapter 10 and refresh your mind. And, and again, the action and the behavior of God and how God initiated everything that was going on in Cornelius's life and everything that was going on in Peter's life. God chose, and this is what God was choosing, that by Peter's mouth, that the Gentiles, that they would hear the good news about Jesus. And not only hear, but they would believe that they'd have faith in, that they would trust in Jesus. God, who knows the heart, literally the heart knower, he acknowledged, he witnessed to us and he acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Peter is saying, look at, look at your own life experience and look at the life experience of the Gentile believers and they're one and the same as the Holy Spirit is being poured out through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse eight, sorry, verse nine, it says, God is the one who made no distinction between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles. God's purifying them, literally this, this catharsis process. He's, he's draining our hearts of all of the impurities. He's purifying us, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear, able to carry, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So now you have the two opposing views in this courtroom, so to say, and the two opposing views that we would even have in our own culture. How are we saved? And we could say, how is it that a human being Lives forever in the presence of the divine being who created us. On one side, in this section, we have a a list of works that need to be abided in and to need to be continually performed so that you can be saved. And on the other side of the argument, on Peter's side of the argument, on our side of the argument, is that we are truly saved by the grace. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this because, again, I've, I've brought it up multiple times. I think that this is the sixth week in a row where this, the whole idea of God's grace, His kindness, His compassion, His favor, not just towards me as I hand my life over to Him and uh, have my life ruled by His grace and not by law and not by sin and not by another human being but that we are handing over other people's lives to God's grace. So even for these Pharisees, these individuals who would line up on a legalistic side of their relationship with God, as believers, we need to hand these individuals over to God's grace and beg the Holy Spirit to work on their minds and to work on their hearts, to see and to be enlightened and to understand that all of us have a relationship. We exist only because God chose to create us. We are saved only. We only have Jesus' life because of his overwhelming compassion to us and kindness to us. In the midst of all of our weirdnesses and issues and sins and, and crimes against God, his grace reigns, and it's absolutely beautiful. As Peter is bringing up this language for those in the room, for the Jews in the room at that time. They're all gonna be familiar with this passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. So the first six verses here says, now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you. And you can go and read the prior chapters on your own. And you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And here's the main issue, that as Moses is repeating the commands of God to the Jews before they enter into the promised land, after God has delivered them from their slavery in Egypt, God knows that in their future, they are not going to abide by the law they will not save themselves through obeying God's commands. And in fact, they will find themselves subject to the curses of the law, just like every single one of us does. If we attempt to approach God based upon our own merits, upon our own behaviors, we will be miserable failures. God is telling them through Moses that they will fail, and history bears the truth of that. So in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 30, it says, And you return to the Lord your God, and you obey his voice according to all the, uh, uh, that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And here's the the emphasis of coming back to this passage. says that the Lord your God... He will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. As I sit in the Old Testament passages and I look at all of the failures of humanity, when I sit in the New Testament passages, and again, once again, I witness all the failures, all the, all the um, winds of doctrine, all the different tension, even in the body of Christ that we're witnessing here in chapter 15. I, I take my own heart and I look at it and I say, Lord, it is dark. My heart is dark. There are times, Lord, when I am proud, when I am covetous, when I am envious, when I am lustful, when I am focused on material things, Lord, when I am building up an idol. There's all these circumstances in my life, Lord, where I find myself not doing what you command me to do, even in the New Testament. And I find myself doing those things that you tell me not to. Lord, here's my heart, I can't make it clean. I can't wash it. I can't remove from it all of its impurities. I can't make it look like your heart. I can't change it. I can't transform it. I can't make it into something else. And this is where faith comes in. And this is where the work of Jesus Christ comes in. This is where we, we enter into this relationship with God of look at his grace, his promise in the Old Testament and the New Testament is child, my creation, I've made you in my image and you are broken because of sin. Broken beyond repair through any other means other than the miraculous act of God. And he takes our hearts, he takes our hearts and he cuts away the flesh, all the things that the flesh represents throughout the word of God. He drains out of it, all of the impurities, all things that are unclean. And this is a process. As we press into him, we know, we believe that it is through the grace of, Of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he changes me. And this is that whole idea. I have already handed my life over to Jesus. But I find that this is a daily activity. I need to hand my life over to Jesus today. I know for sure. I will need to hand over my life to him tomorrow afresh. Because my flesh is going to try and reign. And we are told to let the grace of Jesus Christ reign in all of our circumstances, in all of our personalities, even in our understanding and interpretations and applications of God's word in our lives and what we expect other people to do. Make sure, first and foremost, that you have handed yourself over to God's grace and that person that you're interacting with, that circumstance that you're dealing with, that that has been handed over to the Lord. After the Pharisees have their turn and Peter has his turn in rebuttal, now Paul and Barnabas, they stand up. Verse 12, it says, then all the multitude, they kept silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul. Again, declaring, reporting, how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. I already said it, but I'm going to say it again because I love the consistent testimony. Paul and Barnabas very clearly, when they went into the Gentile communities, what was coming out of their mouth was the gospel. It was all about Jesus. As they interact with their brothers and sisters in Christ, whether in Antioch, now that they've returned to the church here in Jerusalem, they are pouring out of their mouths the testimony of look at what God has done. I love it. Verse 13, now it's James's turn. So James gets up, says, after they had become silent, James answered, saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And this is very important, what James is bringing up for the Pharisees that are in the room. Just as God reached into the nations in Genesis chapters 11 and 12 and took out of the nations that one man, Abraham, God is doing the exact same thing. As the gospel is being proclaimed, God is using the gospel as it lands into the minds and the hearts of the hearers and those people respond in faith. He is reaching and he is taking out of the Gentiles, out of the impure, he is taking a people for his name. Verse 15, and with the words of the prophets agree. So he quotes out of Amos, just as it is written. After this, this is an incredible promise from God in Amos chapter 9. It says, After this, I will return and will rebuild. He'll build, he'll wall up the breaches, the holes in the wall. And listen, he will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And he's not talking about the temple. He's talking about the dynasty of David. So, in in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God gave David promises. And the main promise of that passage is the Messiah, is David's descendant, who is Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Messiah. Will sit on the throne of David forever and ever, and his kingdom will never end. So God's promise here to rebuild the tabernacle, to rebuild the tent of David, He's referring to that which has fallen down. They they violated their relationship with God. The consequences of that were all the curses that God pronounced. This dynasty that David would have a king on the throne of Israel had fallen down, it had suffered ruin, but God's promise is to rebuild. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. At verse 17 is the thrust of this. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all. All these things, again, this, this the Lord does all these things. This gets back to this, this uh, um, umbrella statement of as we are traveling through the Book of Acts, we are looking at God's workmanship. These are all the things that God does. But look at the promise that God gave to Amos: the rest of mankind, when the Messiah comes, when the tabernacle, the tent of David, is rebuilt by Me. The rest of mankind, the Gentiles who are called by my name are going to be part of this one body. And we see this imagery throughout the New Testament as the church is described as a building. We're told that we are now through faith in Jesus Christ that we are now inhabited by God, that we are the temple of God. And not just individually, but corporately is the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is... God is without a distinction in regards to male or female or Jew or Gentile or slave or free, any other classification of mankind, we have been called by the name of Jesus Christ. And his name is his nature and his character and his character is grace. Verse 18, James continues, known to God. God's always known his plan. Known to God from eternity are all of his works. And James giving judgment. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, not to unsettle their souls. But here they are again, the church is seeking to stabilize the souls of believers. But that we should write to them to abstain, to distance themselves from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So here's what James is saying in the recommendation is we can clearly press into multiple passages in the New Testament, whether they're words straight out of Jesus' mouth, whether they're words that the Holy Spirit gave as these letters are being penned about the behaviors that we ought to do and the behaviors that we ought not to do. But here, as they're settling this dispute, it's within the body of Christ. And within the body of Christ, it's dealing with those who have a Jewish background and those who have a Gentile background. And how do you allow fellowship between people who have very diverse backgrounds and very diverse understandings of how to follow Jesus according to the word of God. Because in this subject matter, the Pharisees don't all of a sudden come into agreement that these Gentiles no longer need to be circumcised. We watch through the letters of the New Testament that that idea carried forward and even carries forward into our time in regards to what the church needs to do to have fellowship with each other. But here's the, here's the main issue that we can apply in our lives today is that we need to, as we abide in God's grace and allow his grace to reign, that it's his grace that is, the, that is the glue that keeps us in unity and in fellowship with one another. James's recommendation is Moses, as the Jews have gone to these different cultures, the Old Testament has been taught in these cultures, and these cultures are going to be very aware of the sensitivities of the Jews. So the recommendation to the Gentiles is to avoid... Um, idolatrous behavior to avoid blood and to avoid immoral sexual behavior and immoral behavior in general. But this also applies to just that overarching um, command that God gave even prior to giving instruction to Moses, prior to giving instruction to Abraham, God gave instruction to Noah and that seems to be where this thought comes from. In every human being's life, and that life in Jesus, we are to be free from all forms of idolatry. And an idol truly is anything that we build in our own minds, in our own hearts, that we submit to as master and that we seek to please rather than submitting ourselves to God and pleasing him. When it comes to the idea of things strangled and not to eat blood. Blood, we are told, it's if you sit in Leviticus 16 and 17, you have the Day of Atonement being described there in chapter 16 of Leviticus. In chapter 17, you have this description. God, life is in the blood, and God has given blood for atonement. So again, this is the imagery in regards to Jesus Christ, this direct command not to eat blood for the Jews. The Gentile believers need not to be offensive to their Jewish brethren. And then for sexual immorality, again, from Genesis through Revelation, um, the the sexual behaviors outside of what God has defined as holy are to be wholly avoided in our life. And this is the exhortation that James is giving to them and to lay no other burden upon them. It's going to come up again. So now that James has stood up, now the entire church, verse 22, it says, Then it pleased the apostles and elders and the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named a decision that's been made. We're going to write a letter, but not only are we just gonna send a letter, we're gonna send witnesses to that letter. Other humans that can say, this is what the church agreed on. This is what's going on. This is our love for you. This is our exhortation and encouragement to you. And this is the contents of the letter. Verse 23, they write to them the letter, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, Listen to this, this is so important. To the brethren, they're identifying Gentiles as their brothers and sisters in Christ. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some went out from us and have troubled you with words unsettling your souls. And again, this stands in direct opposition into what we ought to be doing in our interactions with one another as brothers and sisters. The end of chapter 14, we watch Paul and Barnabas stabilizing the soul's the minds, the hearts, the emotions, the feelings, encouraging people to continue in their faith in Jesus Christ. And now here we're given this testimony as these Pharisees came into Antioch, the stability that Paul and Barnabas were seeking to provide was now made unstable because of confusing teaching. Their souls were unsettled saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such command. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. This is a unanimous decision. And again, recognize that the, the letter is being written with a unanimous heart, but that there would still be those that are a part of the Jerusalem church. There would still be Jewish believers in, in this context that aren't buying into this, that would still go out and communicate the necessity to obey the law in contrast to the clear testimony of God himself. All right, to send to you chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives, men who handed over their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So the Holy Spirit engaged in all of this activity as they're listening, as they're praying, as they're pursuing the word of God, the Holy Spirit, the true leader within the body there. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, these essential things, these things that are indip- indispensable. That you abstain from things offered to idols. Again, focus being turning from all forms of idolatry. That you would abstain from blood. Again, the imagery that uh, that's revolves around atonement. And from things strangled. Again, that whole idea of blood being in the animal. And from sexual immorality, from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these things, you do well. In other words, your practice, your following of Jesus is well. And this statement here, farewell, be strong. So I come back to this whole idea as we sit in this passage together and even in our current context, you are going to be abiding in circumstances in your life right now that are outside of doctrinal and theological issues. But the application still remains true of how is it today that you need to hand over your heart Your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your criticisms, your anxiety, your worry, your fear, your lust, your pride, your materialism. What is it that the Holy Spirit is saying, son, daughter, give me your life and give me all of it. And then not only is it this application for being able to hand over yourself freely to his incredible grace. But what is it or who is it that you also need to commend, to trust to God's grace? Earlier on in chapter 14, it says that Paul and Barnabas, that, they were, that the church commended, that they entrusted God and the grace of God with these men as they were going to do the work that the Holy Spirit had called them to do. But as you interact with your brothers and sisters here in our body at Calvary or in the body of Christ uh, to, a, to a greater degree, we can rub each other. We can irritate each other. We can, we can say things that are misunderstood. We can, we can come at you um, or we can come at one another through different forms of legalism rather than approaching one another through grace. What are those conversations that may need to transpire? And again, I'm just... Uh, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to well within your own mind and your own heart is what do you need to hand over to him in regards to your life and all aspects of your life. And I know exactly those things that the Lord is speaking to me. I want to end this morning where we ended the men's Bible study on Wednesday night out of Romans chapter 6. And the whole idea of this passage at the end of uh, chapter 5, it's talking about how much God's grace is abounding, how much more his grace abounds than all sin that has occurred in our life. But the idea that grace would be king, that grace would reign. In verse 6, or sorry, verse 12 of chapter 6, the thought is ended here, and I think it ties Wonderfully with what we're talking about in Acts chapter 15 this morning. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Don't let legalism reign. Don't let the law reign. Don't let your ideas reign. Don't let sin reign. Don't let an idol reign. Here, the the exhortation, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That you should obey it in its lusts. Verse 13, do not present, do not hand over your members, your your body, your mind, your heart, your mouth as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But here's the, the ought to do. Here's what we should do. Here's what we're all pressing in to do every single day. But present yourselves, hand yourself over to God as being alive from the dead. And... Present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. And I love that promise. Being a child of God, Jew or Gentile, being in Jesus Christ means that sin does not have dominion over me. Sin is not my master. The law is not my master. And the, the, the reason for you are not under law, but you are under grace. So Father, we want to give you constant thanks and praise for your amazing grace. Father, as often as I sit in your word, Old Testament and New Testament, so often it is a mirror that's held up to my heart and to my mind and to my life. And your word shows me all the different ways that I fail. All of my different mistakes, my rebellion, my obstinacy. Lord, the issues that I struggle with, my personality, Again, my pride, Lord, the words that I say sometimes that I wish that I could take back, those thoughts that I think, Lord, that are so far from your heart. I give you thanks that your word shows me your holiness and your glory and that it reveals to me what unrighteousness is and what wickedness is, what sin is, what death is. Because when I see both, Lord, it helps me to understand your truly amazing grace. This kindness that you demonstrate towards us. How you have reached into you reached into my life and you took me out of this world and so many of our lives lord you have called us you have reached out and you have taken us to yourself by your name by the name of jesus there is no other name whereby we must be saved in the name of jesus and we give you thanks for his name we give you thanks for your grace and your character we give you thanks for your favor and your kindness and your cleansing We give you thanks for the freedom that we have to run to your throne of grace with with boldness, Lord. In confession, in prayer, in hope. We seek you right now, Lord, for wisdom. We seek you for, for healing. We seek you, Lord, for the words to be able to proclaim to our culture today to not abide in fear and anxiety, but to look to the creator, to look to the gracious creator who has provided life. So Lord, I personally submit my life to you. I hand my life over to you today. I also hand over the life of my wife and my kids and my parents and my sister, my family, Lord, my in-laws. I hand the lives over of our congregation here, Lord the people who I work with, the people who I rub shoulders with in this community, Lord, I hand them over to you. I understand that the grace that you demonstrate towards me and that reigns in my life as each one of these others, Lord, submit themselves to you, your grace reigns in them. May your grace be free and unhindered in every aspect of our life, as we trust in you, as we hope in you, as we love in you. Love you, Lord, daily. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Know that you were greatly loved. Love you, I miss you, and looking forward to seeing you on Zoom this week and through texts and through phone calls, but as many ways as we can, let us be diligent to, to pursue one another, to pray for one another, and more than anything, to be gracious to one another in all things. Love you.